From Nashville, Tennessee, it's the weekly Grace Church Nashville podcast. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Grace Church Nash and use the hashtag located in the podcast description. And now here's Lyndall Cooler with this week's message. Worship. Worship in the modern era has become a catchword. It's become what we use to describe the music portion of the service, of the, of the corporate experience. It's what we call it. We, but, but if we're going to understand worship, we have to understand what its purpose is, who it's for, and why it's there in the Scripture. We have to understand that. Now, somebody says, I don't want to really hear a series on worship. Well, that's fine. But let me tell you, let me tell you what's going on. Let me tell you why you need to. Because many of you, your spirit life is like this. And when you get into a heated battle with hell and all things are breaking loose in your life, if you don't understand worship, you will accuse God of every bad thing that happens. It is so critically important that you understand what worship is in the Bible, what it really means. You need to open the pages of the scripture and understand. And, and, and you know, somebody says it's not important. Well, then why have we been having wars in the church ever since the church began over worship? Why are we still, we've been fighting music battles for years. My grandmother was an old Pentecostal woman. And we'd sing just over in the glory land. And everything had the same beat. My grandmother would dance in the spirit. And it looked like the Charleston. And I realized that she did the Charleston because that's the era she grew up in. So she danced like she knew how to dance when there was joy in our heart for the Lord. But somewhere, the Pentecostals made that sacred. And if you didn't dance that way and express the Lord, your love for the Lord that way, then that wasn't holy. Then when worship courses came along, everybody went, why do we say the same words over and over and over? Why can't we just open the hymnal and get the statement made and move on to the sermon? And now we have the carpetbaggers in the church. And you go to the youth meetings and all people want to do is lay in the floor. And play really depressing music for really long periods of time. And I think it's meditation. I'm not sure. And all the while that's going on, 10 or 15 other kids will have their Bible and they'll be sitting cross-legged facing the wall, having Bible study. And what it says to me is I need to talk about worship because worship is not, never will be, able to be capitalized in music cannot be will not be ever will be worship music music is a tool that we use 
for worship. It is not worship. I've been in churches where when you sing the song they like, I remember when Graves to Gardens came out. Remember that one? I search the world. Right? And I was leading a worship service over in Alabama. There's about 800 people there. The place was packed. And I led worship, what I called worship, the whole service. And it was good. It was, they were worshiping. Hands were up. They were singing. It was, they were expressing their love for the Lord. And at the very end, you remember, Amber? At the very end, I thought, well, I'll, do, I'll close out with something they know. And the minute we hit the intro for Graves to Garden, you would think, you would think that the Beatles have been reunited and resurrected <laughs> and put on the stage. Everybody rushing the stage. I mean, kids that I hadn't seen the whole night. And they were all, ah, and I'm singing the song and the Holy Spirit is talking to me while I'm singing the song. And he goes, look at them. And I went, yeah, I finally got them with me. He goes, no, you don't have them with you. And they're not worshiping me. They're worshiping the song. They're moved by the song. Why is this important in this hour? Because as the world darkens, you've got to know why you're worshiping God. You've got to know who he is. And you've got to know the reason for worship. And you've got to understand that when you attach any fleshly benefit to worship, it is no longer worship. If I ask those of you to write a little note and go, hey, what's worship? You go, well, it's that, it's that when we sing and I just feel the darkness lift and the presence of the Lord comes and I get a different perspective. That is all byproduct of worship. That's not worship. It's byproduct. God has byproducts. When he walks into the room, goodness and mercy come with him. When he walks into the room, miraculous healings come with him. When he walks into the room, transforming presence and power come in with him. But those attributes are not him. And he is so glorious, it is so easy to get focused on his goodness and miss him. It's very possible because he's so fantastic that he comes into the room when we worship him to receive our worship and we get so enamored with what he brings that we lose sight of him and then we start to worship worship. That euphoric feeling that comes sometimes as you sing. So let me just start by saying there are different ways to approach God. If you're going to come before God, there are ways to do it. You can come with prayer. You can come with meditation. You can come with worship. 
You can come with praise, supplication, requests, intercession, testimony, thanksgiving. Worship and praise are the key ingredients in all these. And they're defined in the Bible very clearly. Now, if you don't have a Greek key numbered Bible and Hebrew numbered Bible, try to get yourself one. Matthew Henry commentary has it. Try to get a hold of one because it will help you. And I'll try to make available on my ministry website all these words so you can look them up for yourself and see the passages where they apply. Okay? So what is worship in its simplest biblical form? Worship is to the Father. About the Father. It must be vertical for it to be worship. Spirit-filled churches have got this really funny phrase that they say on a regular basis. It's called prophetic worship, which is the silliest thing I've ever heard. You know why? If worship is vertical to the Lord, about the Lord, and only the Lord, am I going to prophesy to God? Does he need a word? (laughs) Prophecy is for the edification of the saints. It's the gift of the Spirit, the gift of tongues, the laying on of hands, healing. All these gifts are for the edification of the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. How can you possibly prophesy to God? What they're really saying is it's just, it really is a misspeak, and it needs to be corrected, and it's this. You can sing prophetically. You can put a prophecy to music and speak it over people and sing it over people. Musicians can play to the Spirit of God prophetically, but that is not prophetic worship. That is the Lord speaking through His servants to His people, which can't be worshiped. Worship must always be vertical. Otherwise, God is highly confused. Because he comes, oh, I feel the Lord. I'm getting to the bedrock of this house. And if you don't get this, you won't get anything we do. Because everything we do in this house is motivated from what I'm talking to you right now. And if you think it's just to musicians, you are way off base. You need to understand exactly why this house exists, what the purpose of it is, and furthermore, your purpose in the kingdom of God. And you've got to get your past your experience and get it rooted in the word, and you've got to get it cultivated into an affection for God and a love for God that sustains you through the troubles of life, where the first thing out of your mouth doesn't come, I wonder why God let that happen. You know what comes out of a worshiper's mouth? Real simple. 
Father, I don't understand what is going on, but but I do know this. Everything is Father filtered. Nothing is ever going to come into my life that the Heavenly Father did not allow. Therefore, I will praise you in my suffering. I will praise you in my trouble because I know all things work together for the good to those who are called and joined into His purpose. That's what's happening to me. And I don't have to understand it. And I am not going to be a snotty brat to question my father. He doesn't deserve my doubt. If I've got doubt, I'll talk to my wife about it. I'll talk to my friends about it. But I'm not going to go to my sweet daddy and say, Papa, why did you let me have, have an aortic dissection? I didn't have hypertension. I didn't have high blood sugar. I didn't have sugar diabetes. I don't smoke. I don't drink. All those things that are supposed to be prerequisites for this disease. I have none of them. Now, why did you let that happen? I was talking with Tony one day after the surgery, and I was in misery. Not Missouri. (laughs) Kind of the same, but... I was in misery and just uncomfortable and not feeling good. And, and you know, when you're down, how many have ever been down? <coughs> Come on. Surely more people didn't down than that. When you're down, everything gets magnified. You know. And Tony said, Pastor, have you ever asked the Lord why? And I promise you, I wasn't being a smart aleck. I said, am I supposed to? Am I supposed to ask God why? I mean, I don't think it's a sin. He understands I'm human. But do I really believe and worship the Heavenly Father that does all things well? And do I really believe the scripture that says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights? Do I really believe that or am I just playing church? If I believe that, then why am I asking my Father? Somebody says, well, do you just accept everything that comes your way? Oh, no, I bind the devil. I mean, I grind his horns off if he had them. Y'all put up with it. I don't understand it. When your kids run amok, you have to go get your Bible, pull your sword out, and just go after the devil. I mean, go after him because he's stepped over the line at that point. See, it's one thing for him to be working in the nation, but when he comes in your house and starts working on your stuff, That's where the Lord ain't going to fix that for you. You're going to fix that for yourself in the name of Jesus. And you're going to have to go out there and say, in the name of Jesus, this thing's not coming into my home. It's not going to destroy my children. I bind it. I tell it to get out of here and I open the door and shoo it out. You got to be aggressive with that sort of thing. But to Father, when he comes to these corporate meetings and he comes to your prayer time in your closet, your devotion time, he really thinks... There's going to be something in it for him. He comes. Somebody says, I don't believe that. I'm quoting a lot. I'm not turning a lot because I'm trying to get you out of here. Let, Let me show you this. Somebody says, what is worship in heaven? Well, I think it's pretty good there, right? 
But if you read the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book of the Bible, what you'll find is you'll find these constant references to every time John saw the Lord, he's always on his face. I fell as one dead. Every time God turns and looks at the 24 elders, they throw their crowns and fall on their faces. Now, if that is heavenly worship, then it must be biblical. So why don't we find out what that means? See, I'm going to do a little math this morning. The Old Testament is Hebrew primarily. The New Testament is translated from Greek. There are nine words when I looked up the word worship. The English word worship, I did it in the King James Version for all of y'all guys that believe, you know, to make sure it was really the Bible. And I looked it up and I thought, what does the Bible say about worship? I mean, all this stuff we're doing in church, what biblical purpose does it have? And if the Lord wants worship, what kind does he want? And and what is he asking for? You know, it's it's almost like, I don't mean to be crass here, but how many of y'all married? Okay. Do you have little affectionate things that you do toward your mate? Okay. I'm going to be hypothetical. I'm not going to be self-applicable here. I'm just going to be hypothetical. If your wife doesn't like you nibbling on her earlobe, that's not her thing, then why are you chewing? (laughs) If that ain't what she wants, why are you giving her what you want her to have? If you love her, you ask her, what form of affection do you love? She might tell you to take the trash out. I don't know. But ask her because you can't properly honor her until you know what she wants. And you don't give her what you want to do that's comfortable for you. You give her what she asks for. If you do, you got a happy wife. And if you have a happy wife, you have a happy life. Then why, if that works with my wife, shouldn't I apply that principle to the father? Why should I offer him what I want him to have without looking in his word and going, now wait a minute, there's a menu in here and I need to read it from his side of the coin and go, what is it you want, Lord? What will take me deeper into you? What will ground me in you more? What, how can I minister to you? What is it you want? Well, I'll show you. Nine words. Some of them I'm not even going to try to pronounce. The word worship appears in the Bible 108 times. 108 times in the English translated King James Bible, the real Bible. Okay? It appears in 102 verses. And everybody do some math with me. 
There are nine words, both Greek and Hebrew, that are used translating the word worship. Some of them get one use. Matter of fact, there's four right here. Doxa, praise God from whom all blood. It gets one use and it really isn't worship to God as much as it is. That passage in Luke, uh, Pastor Don, where, uh, where the Bible says if you're invited to someone's house and they honor you by moving you, take the seat of low esteem and they honor you, that word is doxa. They honor you by moving you to the head. They recognize your worthiness and they bring you to the head, which makes doxa work. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Right? That gets one use. Uh, Here's four words that get one use. Right? Lateral, lateral, lateral you. God help my Greek. I don't, I didn't study it. Please forgive me. This one gets three uses in the Bible. And this one is very central to this church. It says to minister to God. To minister to God. Now let me connect that in the scripture for you. You're not a church member. You're not just a Christian. You are a kingdom of priests. Unto the people? No. Unto God. You minister to God as a priest. Oh, you ladies are priestess. You minister to God. Three uses in the Bible. Right? To do religious service, it means to be a worshiper. Now, here's where I want to get to. There are, there's this word called proskune. It's a very interesting word. It gets 34 uses in the New Testament. 34. And you know the most famous scripture that it's used in? It's all proskune, this whole passage. Do you remember when Jesus comes to the Samaritan woman at the, at the well? And he says, I'm thirsty, give me a drink. And she goes... Well, you didn't bring anything to, she's talking shop, smack. Well, hey, you're quite, you're quite the Jew. Coming down here, you want something to drink and didn't even bring a bucket. You didn't bring anything to get water with. She's just talking shop. And then he turns on her, he turns God on her and says, well, if you knew who's asking you for a drink, you would ask of me and I would give you a drink from the wells of living water. Now she gets religious. Well, you know, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. She turns religious, right? Worship, proskune. And, but, you, but, but Jesus turns her and says, yeah, they did, but the Jews worshiped the right way. They worshiped the right God. And then he declares something that is critically important to us. The time is coming. And now is that they that proskune worship the Lord must proskune worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Now look at this. For these are the kinds of worshipers. 
the Father seeks. Well, that's rich. It doesn't say he's looking for worship. It says he's looking for worshipers who are worshiping him the way he wants. What, what does that have to do with anything? Oh, everything, friend. If, you don't, if you're not in this church house today for the right reason, you won't last. I watched thousands of people come around the altars of Browns of Revival. I saw hundreds of thousands transformed. But I also saw people I never thought would ever walk away from the Lord. And I look at their Facebook posts now and I go, oh, my Lord, were you at the same altar I was? How in the world did you do that? I'll tell you exactly how they do that. It's worship. Uh, You don't understand how important, critically important what I'm talking to you about is. This is as ABC as it gets. If you don't see God in the proper light, if you see God only as a sugar daddy, if you see God only as a deliverer, if you see godly, God only as a supply for you, if you see him only as one who brings good things into your life, then you have got not God, you've got all of his attributes cornered. Because the question is, Without all of the trappings, do you even love him? If he never does anything good to you again, are you still going to worship him? Is he not worthy of worship, whether he's good to you or not? Is he not worthy based on who he is, where he stands, what he has done? If he's not, then he's not God. And if you don't see him like that, see, I'm an experiential guy. I want people to experience the presence of God, but I want that experience to take them to the scripture. And I want the scripture to take them to a relationship where they see him for really who he is and not just what he does. If I had died 17 weeks ago, he's still good. I'm going to wrap this up. This is the introductory. Now I've got you. Maybe you'll come back. So what is worship according to the Bible? Let's look at these words. Here they are. Proskune. Here's the meaning of it. Shocking. That passage that I just quoted to you. This word means this. It means to kiss means to kiss. It's not an erotic kiss. It's not a kiss as to a lover. It means a kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. It means to fawn, F-A-W-N, to crouch low, literally or figuratively, to prostrate oneself in homage to the Lord. To reverence and adore him. To worship him. Somebody says, do you think we all need to wear suits and we all need to? Well, obviously I don't have one on. But I think we've become way too casual with how we approach our father. 
because he doesn't want casual worship. I've heard worship leaders say stuff and I wanted to slap them. This is my worst hated worship leader phrase. Y'all just worship him however you want. No! Worship him how he wants. Because I promise you, if you give him the worship he wants, it will be uncomfortable for you, which turns it into a sacrifice of praise, which makes it an acceptable offering. See, some of you guys come in these services and you never lift a hand. You never sing a song because you're just too, you're too studly for the room. Because it's feminine to worship the Lord. No, God is not feminine. God is mighty. He is all powerful. And he deserves your expression of worship. And all I'm asking, brothers, is at least give him half of what you give Super Bowl. Just half of it. You just give him half. Because if you don't, you're a hypocrite. Sorry. Well, am I supposed to jump around like Jimmy Stork? Lift my hands and do all that? Larry Day's never going to run the aisle. But I can tell you this. When Larry's in worship, those hands will be up. And if you watch him, sometimes you'll see tears coming down his face. And you'll see a smile on his face. That's heavy for Larry. Vermont, they don't do much of that. Am I trying to turn you all into flagrant Pentecostals who run the aisles? Not necessarily. I'm just telling you, Don't give some human appreciation higher regard than you do the Father. You can't do that. I'm almost finished. I'm going to wrap it up because I, is this good for y'all? A lot of y'all have not heard this. Some of y'all have heard it. But I just feel like it's time in this hour to talk about it. I'm going to finish with this one more word of worship and then we're we're going to let it go. And I'm going to give you a teaser, a soap opera teaser of what's coming next. So that, that is proskune, kissing, like licking the master's hand. Now, there's a Hebrew word, which is real interesting. It gets 54 uses. Now, proskune gets 34. Everybody say 34. 34. Now, what's 34 and 54? 88? Right? How many times did I say worship was used in the Bible? 108? So if we take 88 from 108, how many are left? 20. So eight words get dispersed over 20 uses. These two words are the lion's share of the word worship in the Bible. When the Bible talks about Abraham worshiped the Lord, built an altar and worshiped. When Moses worshiped the Lord in the wilderness, it's, it's this word right here. Shaka. 54 times. Would you be interested to know its meaning? Get ready to be mind blown. Here it is. It means to press down. Prostrate in homage to royalty or to God, to bow oneself down low, to crouch, to fall down flat, to humbly beseech, to make obeisance, to do reverence, make to stoop in worship. Now, those two words are almost identical. And what you see in John's book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, 
That's exactly what you see in heaven. Now, in weeks to come, I'll unfold what praise is, what testimony is. Praise is a whole other thing. Okay? We're talking just about the word worship. Okay? Praise is a different thing. Praise is where all of us Pentecostals get the permission to get the tambourine out and testify about the goodness of the Lord and, and run around the building and, and all that. All that fits. It's, all that fits. But there must be a part of your daily life. That is worship the Father seeks. Because here's the thing. Do you feel like when you pray, the Lord is nowhere near? Then bow down and worship him. Because the scripture says, these are the worshipers, the kind he seeks. Wait a minute. I thought my job was to seek the Lord. Well, how about this? You want the Lord to seek you? Become a worshiper. Now, let me wrap this up. This is so good. Thank you. Uh, Why is this relevant, Lyndall? Why is it important in the hour we're living in? There's wars and rumors of wars. China and Russia and balloons and all that stuff. If, If calamity comes, you got to know him deeper than you know him now. You got to know him like a tree that's planted by the water and will not be moved. Your your roots have got to go past the blessing and they've got to go into the image of truly who he is. That he's God all by himself. When I was a boy, Maya knows this. I was a boy in the church God in Christ. We used to have that phrase. We'd sing about it. He's God all by himself. Don't need no help from nobody else. God's not dependent on your view of him. He is not in time. Time is in him. He is not walking beside you every day the way you think he is. He's already been where you're going. And he's already lined up everything and filtered it all for the purpose of turning you into the likeness of Christ. So every trial, every trouble, every joy, every heartache, every loss is father filtered and perfectly designed for you to come out on the other side and say, Lord of lords, king of kings, I will worship you no matter what. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. What I'm trying to get you to is this place of, you're just going to praise him because he heals you of cancer? Or while the diagnosis is still red hot and the disease is still in your body, are you going to praise him? To live as Christ, to die as gain. Boy, y'all are awfully quiet. I'm trying to quit. Do you understand why it's important? To come into his presence and lay on your face and go, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy of glory, worthy of honor. Though the flesh, my flesh may fail. But the Lord, my rock, will stand forever. My eyes may dim, but the Lord, my rock, will stand forever. The nation may shake. The world may quake. 
enemies may arise, but the Lord is at my right hand and forever stands as the almighty God. Nothing gets past him. Nothing goes around him. He's so high, you can't get over him. He's so low, you can't get under him. He's so wide, you can't get around him. You must come in by the door. Now, next time I talk, we'll get into some praise words. We'll get loud at that one. What am I saying? I'm saying this. I know you love the word. You wouldn't be in this church if you didn't. I know you love Jesus. But I'm inviting you into a relationship to see him as a person. And as a person, he hurts. He feels. He longs. He wants. That's who the father is. So you've got him up there as just your sugar daddy. You ring the bell and he brings you what you want. Or some people fear him as the great white bearded man that's going to call all their sins to front and attention and they're going to be judged. That's what some people think God is. But you know what he truly is? He's the heavenly father where every good and perfect gift comes down from him. And he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of glory. He's worthy of honor. And if you can take him deep, see all of you have gifts and callings. My son is a deliverer. He's got a prophetic gift on his life. My other son's got a ministry of worship and ministering to the Lord on his life. And, and many of you have different gifts. But again, let me close by saying this. You cannot worship him because you have a gift. You thank him that he gave you a gift. But worship has to be about him. You cannot insert yourself When you insert yourself, you've moved away from worship. It's him, only him, to him, for him, by him. And somebody says, I don't know how to do that. Ask him. When you get in your prayer closet and your devotion every day, say, Father, I don't know how to worship you. I don't know. But if you will put it in me, I'll release it back to you. And then let the Holy Spirit begin to come up out of your belly like a, like rivers, like a fountain. And let it spring up through your vocal cords. And then you start adoring the Lord. And you put your focus on his face and on his eyes. And you begin to praise him because of who he is. Oh God, if you hadn't stepped into my family when you did, I would be lost eternally. Lord, if you hadn't woke me up in the midst of my crazy and you hadn't extended mercy where would I be oh great one oh great one you're worthy of all the glory I give you all the praise if you didn't step in when the doctor said I was going to die I wouldn't be here today it's your goodness I praise you I will forever sing to you I will forever tell of your goodness oh mighty God you're worthy you're worthy. You're worthy. You feel him here, don't you? Why? Because we're talking about what he likes. When you worship the Lord, when you magnify Jesus, the Father 
goes, hey, wait a minute. Somebody's not asking for something right now. Somebody agrees with my personality. There's somebody who sees me like I really should be seen. See, some of y'all are struggling in your life because you want to be seen for the person you really are. And you feel like people around you don't see you in the right way. Is that right? Wouldn't you love for people to really see your heart and know the purity of your motivation? Right? Wouldn't you love that? Sometimes they have a hard time seeing it because your actions conflict with what your heart wants to do. Right? Well, if you have that desire, what makes you think the Heavenly Father doesn't want to be seen for who He is? He loves it when you ask Him for miracles. He loves it when you petition Him. He said, come boldly before the throne of grace. It's all in there. But there's got to be a spot, church. Oh, my Lord. There's got to be a spot somewhere where it's all Him and it's all about Him and it's not about you. Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace Church, you can visit us online at gracechurchnashville.com and find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gracechurchnash. Hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time.